to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Peter Sashecki, your host and president, CEO, and chief cook and bottle washer of Everything Financial Group. We're going to be on episode 15 today uh, as we work our way through the Omni formula this season, kind of from beginning to end and all parts in between. So today we're joined with Bart Aldrich, Notary Public, who's joined us before. Welcome. Thank you, Peter. On the hot seat. Here you go. And in person this year, as opposed to that Zoom crap stuff from before. That's always nice. Real people. And we're going to talk about wills and powers of attorney today. And we're going to try and teach people to ask those questions they didn't even know they're supposed to ask. Simplify it for them so they kind of know what's important. I know you've written some great stuff that we use in our plan uh, when we're delivering our plan to people. But even then, it's me kind of showing them what to ask and then send them off to you so they can get it done properly. And as we have to do, people, full disclosure, we send Bart uh, a lot of clients because well-respected. I've, gosh, I could say how long we've known each other, but that'll really date us. So don't, we'll just, don't embarrass either one of us. <laughs> no, we'll just leave that aside. It's a long time, people. We both started in the business when we were six. That's what I'm going with. Um, so, yeah, the, the questions I need to ask, and, and like I said, we get nothing out of it. But we know you do a great job for people. So wills and power of attorney, big one first right off the bat. Why should people have a will or do they even need a will? Well, yes, you certainly need a will. Um, and basically, everybody should have one, especially anyone with any assets or minor ch children. Um, a will ensures your wishes are followed regarding the appointment of your representative in the event of your death the distribution of the assets of your estate, and as I said, perhaps most importantly for any young parent, the appointment of a guardian for any minor children. Is that one of the biggest parts with a will? And because and we're always recommending people when they come in and we're doing a financial plan, that's one of our questions when we're gathering information just to get to introduce them. Do you have a will? And I don't, I, I, I'm still surprised, maybe I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but why so many people don't have a will, and, and this is what I find, and I, let me know if you find the same thing. Generally, the most common thing is we can't decide who to look after the children, or we can't decide if my brother Bob or sister Sue or whatever should be the executor. And I, and I say, from a financial advisor and a representative financial planner point of view, don't let the fox watch the hen house. Make the executor and the guardian Two different people and maybe make sure your guardian isn't your parents a lot of time who are 80 years old because yeah good, <laughs> you know good point and you're quite right um the most common ex reason i've heard from clients is that they can't decide on who to be the guardian for their kids there's a fight between one side of the family or the other should it be their parents or their brother or sister who's really maybe not responsible enough. <laughs> yeah, they can't um, look after themselves and they're living at home still, but we're going to let them look after our children. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and the point between the executor and guardian, um, for those of those out there that aren't quite sure what those two roles mean, um, the executor ends up being in charge of the money you've left behind. The guardian is responsible for the care of the children. So quite often the uh, the traits and, and responsibilities of those two roles don't match with the same people. One person might be very well suited to caring for your children, but they can't keep their checkbook straight. 
And on the other hand, someone that's very responsible with money may not be the right person to be caring for the kids. Oh, so we are giving them the right advice. And in the end, I always just say, ask Bart, see what they say. But as I tell people, just because you can't agree on who should be the guardian, get it done anyways, because someone, even if it might not be the perfect person, is better than nobody, which leads me to the next question, the kind of follow-up to this. What if someone dies, they don't have a will, we can talk about money and things like that, but something you're more suited to is what happens to the assets and what happens to the children? Well, we'll, we'll start with the children because that's a really straightforward. They're now under the care of the public guardian and trustee. Those are very nice people doing a horrible job, but um, that's probably not your first choice. They, the assets will automatically be distributed in accordance with the will that the province has ready for you. And for some people, that may work fine. It goes to basically to your next of kin. If you're married, that would be a spouse. If you're married with children, then it's divided amongst your spouse and children. If you're not married or have no children, then it goes to your parents if they're still alive. If they're no longer alive, then equally amongst any siblings and sort of on down the, the family tree. So for some people that works, but for most people, it's probably not the best option. So I know you're not a lawyer, and this might be a lawyer question, but possibly not, maybe a notary question. So if you have the will then, you've, you've, you've done the will, and because and you, you and I thought about this because you and I were talking about this earlier, if someone wants to contest the will, and, and people ask me, well, how can they sue? I said, and I tell people always this, especially since I work in the U.S. too, People can sue for anything they want. doesn't mean they'll be successful. Correct. It just means it's a pain in the ass, really, if they sue. Um, but can someone contest a will for any reason? And, and how quickly is it thrown out if it's basically BS? The main reason for someone contesting a will in BC has to do with um, a disappointed beneficiary. So someone that thinks they're entitled to receive your estate. Uh, you you're been, talking about our children these <laughs> days when you say entitled. Um, yeah. So basically the rules in BC are that that entitlement um, goes to a spouse, either married or uh, common law for two years or more, and to your children, um, natural or adopted. If any of them feel that they are not being adequately provided for, and that's the language used, it's not equal, it's adequately provided for, then they can go to court and challenge it. Now, before it gets to court, the executor has the opportunity to um, maybe go to arbitration or mediation or just outright settle it. Um, but if it does go to court, then it's up to a judge to determine how the estate should be distributed. It might be uh, exactly in accordance with the wishes in the will, uh, but then again, it might not. They may find in favor of the person that's appealing it. And just to um, kind of ties into the contesting of a will thing to kind of clear, provide clarity for people who think this is Hollywood, because I was involved in executor and there was one of these people who was feeling they didn't, I was just an executor. I mean, I had no interest in it. Didn't, wasn't even in the will. It was just, they saw me as being the financial person to kind of, maybe because I do it for a living or something. And the person said, well, when are we having a reading of the will and the distribution <laughs> of assets? And I was like, you're a lunatic because you're not even in the will. But that was really what someone, well, I'm going to contest the will then. And I just said, 
be my guest, call a lawyer, no problem, just let me know, like kind of thing. But but there is no such thing really as a reading no. of a will. This isn't days of our lives or as the world it's, stomach it's, turns. You're right. It's not Hollywood. <laughs> they don't all gather in the lawyer's office. Um, the process that is followed when someone dies um, typically is a probate, and that's a court process to ensure that um, the executor is doing everything they're supposed to do and the will is valid. Part of that process is a copy of the will has to be sent to anybody that's named as a beneficiary or anyone that is entitled to receive. And um, so that's where someone might find out that, oh, I'm not included in there and I should be. So that's when you may get someone contesting it. But the entitled is spouse, children. That's it. They're, spouse well, then, and children. Then, yeah, then it worked out good. On that note, it's not in here, but I'll remind, Bart made a good point about probate. So real simple thing for people. On registered investments, RIFs, RSPs, TFSAs are considered registered investments. If you name a beneficiary, those items avoid probate. So Correct. You said probate, so it made me think about a little tip for people. Uh, in, include in that as well, life insurance. Well, well right, life insurance, yeah. Um, and the other, uh, the other assets that avoid probate are uh, assets that are owned jointly as joint tenants. So in the event of your house, your house, uh, bank accounts, possibly a vehicle, non-registered investments. Yep. Joint ownership. Um, So that's, that's a great tool to use typically between spouses. Um, If you start trying to use joint ownership between a parent and adult child, for example, it really starts to get messy. So that's one to really think twice about. And everyone always asks about that on a house oh, should I put my kids on as ownership and, and do this and do that? And I'm just like, you're not really avoiding anything if you do that. I mean, yes, probate, but there's no tax on personal residence. So it's not like you're doing a capital gains thing. And, and actually you could be doing harm financially to your yeah. child by putting them on because if they already own a residence... Now they own part of a secondary residence, Correct. which even if it's a small percentage, that's a capital gain issue for them when it has to be, it's a deemed disposition has to be paid out. That's right. And that, that's one of the biggest um, sort of drawbacks of it, but there's a host of others. It's a real can of worms. So that may be an opportunity, but it's very, very um, select circumstances where that should be used. So on those rules, people, if you want to clear with the mud, call him. Don't call me. <laughs> He's a notary. He'll tell you that stuff. So I get this other one all the time. People bring it up. The do-it-yourself will. And, well, I don't need to see a lawyer. I don't need to see a notary. I did my will off the internet on the back of a napkin. <laughs> and Is that- it legal? Um might be. It certainly could be. Might. Oh, there's a, there's a comforting word. Um, a will in BC, a will does not have to be prepared by a lawyer or notary to be valid. You can certainly do it yourself, but it's kind of like changing the brakes in your car. Is that really something you want to be doing, you know, using instructions off the internet? Where were those instructions? Uh, what jurisdiction did they come from? Are they BC? Is it California? Is no. it... India, like who knows? So that's, uh, I mean, you can certainly do it, but there's a lot of caution. You mean, you mean those instructions come by the mum, come from the Mumbai technical support office? Good. Good. And they may still be correct. 
And really, though, by someone doing that, how much are they really saving? Like the app, and I know it's different, and we can't put anyone on the hook because everyone charges different, I'm sure. But really, what's the range? And I know you guys are very reasonable with a will, but the time involved in putting a will together, because there's the other excuse. Oh, I, you know, I don't have this. I don't have the time. And it's like you've put together, and, and we have it up where um, periodically through this episode, the template that you've helped build for, and we send out to clients all the time to create a will. So how much time and money is really involved in getting a legal, well-written, thoughtful, <laughs> kind of as ironclad as it can be, will? Uh, typically, the process that I use is um, we start with a conversation, either in person, by Zoom, over the phone, to so gather Zoom the information again. that yeah. I need to prepare things. And that'll typically take about 45 minutes. So that's that's not a great investment. Um, in many cases, clients will need to go away and think about some things, who will be appointed as the guardian, who will be appointed as the executor, that sort of thing. Um, once I've got the information I need, then it usually takes about two, maybe three weeks for me to put things together. I'll get a draft out to them by email, give them a chance to review it, and then we gather again to uh, meet to review it and sign it. And that'll take another half hour or so. So their total time, uh, you know, maybe an hour and a half and can usually be done within about a month or so. And what would it cost them roughly? Is there, I know you've, you have to be paid fairly for your time, but then is there, is there a fee or a charge or some sort of cost in registering the will or, or making it that next step of legal or? Yeah. Typically, we're looking at about $350 plus taxes for a will for one individual. Um, that may range depending on the notary or lawyer. You might be looking $350, $500, something like that. Um, once it's completed, if you want to register it, that doesn't really do anything to make it more or less valid. It's just registering the, the date the will was prepared and where it's being stored, its location. Uh, that's done through Vital Statistics, and they charge $17 for that service. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. <laughs> well, people get the will done. But now let's say they followed our advice. They contacted you, and they, they got the will done. They settled on the guardian, the executor. Will's in place, and then life goes on. And then at some point, they should probably review it. So what is a – we, we do the financial plan. We have a questionnaire and we look for some key major differences in their life to say, time to review your plan. You would know about this, obviously. But when it comes to the will, is there a key thing in your life that would change or even just a time frame that you go, yeah, you better review the will and make sure it's up to date? I suggest people review their will probably every three to five years um, or certainly in the event of some major change. They've gotten married. They've had children. Uh, there's now grandchildren, uh, kids are no longer minors and you don't need that guardian. Um, those are some of the things that would prompt, uh, an immediate review. That's fair enough then. What's We can actually add some of those questions then to our review saying, if this has changed, contact Bart and go through your will. Yeah. But I've seen some things where clients come in and I go, your guardian is so-and-so. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, your kids are 43 and 35. I mean, that, that's probably not the most valid part of your will anymore. What actually, would if that would happen, actually just for fun, for shits and giggles, you have a will, you die, there's a guardian, but your kids are like 30 years old. 
it just gets overlooked. I mean, it's oh, it, okay. it's no longer applicable. Um, the same applies if you if your will says, well, I give my 1948 Ford Roadster, and you no longer own that vehicle. Well, then it doesn't apply. I still want that 74 Pinto collector's item that we used to go to school in. The driving bomb with nine kids in it. Yeah. So uh, let's move from Will. Very great coverage there to the other item on the list. Power of attorney. Um, What is a power of attorney? And are there different types of power of attorneys or attorney, whatever the correct language is? A power of attorney is a document that provides authorization for someone to act on your behalf for any legal or financial matter if you're not able to do things for yourself. Uh, Typically, it's a general enduring power of attorney. The general part means that there's no restrictions or conditions. It could be used for anything. The enduring part means that it remains in effect should you become mentally incompetent. Seems a little redundant. That's one of the main reasons for doing it. But just the way the rules are written in BC, that has to be specifically stated. So we run into this problem all the time, too, with people say, and I haven't seen it very often, but I have seen it, where there's a power of attorney and you might get um, a child of the person the power of attorney is on, a grown adult child, who is under this impression that a power of attorney gives them free reign of the checkbook. And that's not quite the case, is it? <laughs> no, it's the rules are very strict. Uh, a power of attorney would allow, in that case, that adult child to access their parents' funds, but though that money has to be used for the parents' needs only, unless the power of attorney allows otherwise. So a typical scenario where we've got a two individuals who are married, their power of attorney might allow for their individual funds to be used for each other's needs. That way it doesn't matter whose money it is, whose RSP or whose TFSA, that money could be used for either one of them. But, it, and it's also, isn't it, am I, am I correct? It's only if, so you've got mother, father, you know, spouse has passed, they name an adult child on the power of attorney, but they're still fully competent. They don't, it's there for when they're, not competent, but they get an adult child who thinks they have the key to the vault. Well, a power of attorney goes into effect immediately upon signing, and it can be used for at any time for any reason. So typical examples, um, if the if the adult, who is the person appointing someone, if the ad- adult is away on vacation and something goes wrong in the house, tree falls on a house, the, the, the sewer backs up, someone needs to be there for restoration and insurance matters, well, the individual that's been appointed can deal with that while mom enjoys her vacation over in Hawaii without needing to worry about anything. So it can be used at any time, but it doesn't take away the adult's right or ability to still manage things for themselves. If someone goes in and does do something inappropriate then the adult may still be liable for it, but they can then fire the attorney. <laughs> yeah, and I, I did, I've had a few instances in all these years where I saw something that just looked and then even more so it just smelt off. And that's where I've called the client and say, I know you have a power of attorney. 
I but I know you're perfectly sound. I just want to make sure you did approve this. And in a couple cases, um, no, I didn't. And one of them was because I went to a great conference last year on elder abuse. Yeah. And elder abuse in most cases is financial. Yeah. And in most cases, it's from someone close, as in a spouse or brother or sister or someone who's aiding in that thing. And I, I've seen cases like that where I've just then picked up the phone and say, are you aware that this was requested? So usually I can find a reason to stall for a day or so. And in a couple of cases, it was something that the person knew nothing about. And then it's time to call the lawyer, change, change who's the representative on that. Financial advisors, uh, bank employees, they're pretty good watchdogs. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, Employees in the banks have a real uh, knowledge of their local clients. You realize you said the word bank, so you now have to put money in a swear jar. I'm just warning you. So, so <laughs> cut it out, or you're gonna it's gonna cost you a lot of money coming in here today. But they they do have a, uh, a you know an, an eye on many yeah. of their clients, and they'll be aware of things going sort of sideways, um, so they can keep an eye on things. Yeah, they're well, not. They're certainly not liable for anything or under any obligation, uh, but they do take it yeah, and seriously. If you're, I know me as a registered financial planner acting in the role as a fiduciary, so what's in the best interest of the client? Those are things we obviously watch out for. And I know the answer to this, but a lot of people don't know the answer to this. When does the power of attorney end? Upon death of the adult or if it's revoked by the adult. Yes, and we get... So many times when someone's passed and the people come in and go, but I have power of attorney. No, now this goes to the job of the executor. The Correct. person's passed away. Yep. And they kind of go, oh, and they don't realize. But power of attorney at that point means nothing. And people, if, if your loved one, parent, spouse uh, is dealing with investments and you, and you do a power of attorney on each other or someone, Make sure it gets into a copy, gets into the right hands, gets into the hands of your registered financial planner and the custodian who looks after your investments so they know. And that just makes things easier in dealing with your finances. Yeah. Power of attorney, I, I'm on a real soapbox these days. I think it's something that too many people do not have and should. Um, you're never too young to have one, um, basically over 19. Um, Many people say, well, I don't need one yet. I'm not old. <laughs> well, guess what? It's the kind of thing that when you do need it, you can't you get can't it. Do, yeah, that's it. Because you, you have to be competent enough Correct. to sign. I, I know when my uh, father-in-law was alive and he needed to get a power of attorney, speaking of victim of abuse <laughs> that we found out, and and it had to be done and they tried to say he was incompetent. We had that, and I know at that time when that happened, because he wasn't here in the Lower Mainland, you put me on to some people, and they do a, and I'm not sure the terminology you'll know, but they did some sort of test to make sure, oh, wait a minute, he hasn't had dementia for seven years? He's perfectly fine and can make this decision on his own? Because they had someone trying to say he wasn't competent and basically tap into the purse strings. It happens. Yeah, un unfortunately it does. Um, the power of attorney is, is really there. It, I call it like house insurance, property insurance. You'd hope you never need to use it, but if you need it, you'd better have it. Yeah, uh, uh, makes sense. Now, 
and I and I'm going to get this wrong, but there is there's also a thing, and I think the names have changed in the past. A representation agreement, or and, yep. and it, that's not in a power of attorney, though, is it? That's a separate item. It's a completely se- separate document. A power of attorney allows someone to act on your behalf for legal or financial matters. Has nothing to do with medical decisions. Uh, so that's what that is. A representation agreement is very much like a power of attorney. It appoints someone to make those medical or personal care decisions on your behalf if you're not able to for yourself for any reason. So if someone comes in, they're doing a will, and I know we send people to you all the time, will power of attorney, and I know you said you're on a soapbox about power of attorney, but representation should really be done, it can all be done, I guess, at the same time. It can all be done at the same time. They can be done at separate times as well. There's really no um, connection one to the other. Uh, a representation agreement um, may or may not be absolutely necessary, certainly recommended, uh, but there are at least default mechanisms in place in BC. Your next of kin would be allowed to make medical decisions for you, uh, but there's lots of people where that may not be quite suitable. You may want someone else making those med- medical decisions. For example, um, a parent who, without a spouse, that those decision powers would go equally amongst all their children. Well, there may be some family conflict where one child would want one thing, maybe not actually in, in keeping with the parent's wishes. Yeah, and you do see that too with, again, no ill will intended, but if there's three or four kids, two kids even, but three or four kids involved, and sadly there's no hope of that parent recovering in the current state they're in, and, and not trying to sound at all like I don't care, but who's going to be the one who bears that responsibility of, as they say, pulling the plug? But all of a sudden, you know, the person's on a respirator and you have to decide, do they be taken off? And there's where a representation agreement takes the onus off of somebody and the guilt that may follow, even though that is in the parent's best interest. And, and the siblings, one blaming another you made that decision and we didn't agree or. Yeah. Know. And and one thing to distinguish a representation agreement appoints the individual to make those decisions. It doesn't necessarily provide any guidance of what decisions are to be made. That's certainly a conversation that uh, people should have with their families. So whether there's a representation agreement or not, everybody is on the same uh, wavelength in, in terms of, how mom or dad wants uh, care to be um, yeah. taken. H- horrible discussion to have, but uh, a great one though. Like if mom or dad, if you're yeah. ever in this situation, what situation do you need to be in to say enough is enough? Yeah. For lack of a better term, it, really. It really comes down to what their values and beliefs are and what kind of quality of life they want. And, and some people want to, you know, fight everything right to the, the very end and, and give it their all. And, and that's great. And other people may say, you know what, if it's at this point, then just let things go. And, but that's a conversation that parents and their children need to have. Yeah, for sure. Because now in BC, I know we have, and they made another province, I don't know, they have this made decision you can make. And <clears> I know of some, I know of a friends of ours where the sister just m- made not to not yeah. play on words, but, uh, but elected that decision a few weeks ago and a tough one to do. And it was, I know the sister who was really close to her and helping her said, 
I'm glad she made the decision because I couldn't yeah. make that decision for her. And then the person just, I mean, there was, that's when there's literally zero chance of recovery that, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs that go to it, but. Yeah, but that's, it, it's a difficult conversation. Yeah, anytime you can take that out of someone else's hands, I suggest <laughs> do it because it, trust me, I've been involved and it's not an easy thing to have to decide on. And when you can go to see someone like yourself and, Plan for as, you can never plan for everything, I guess, but plan for as much as you can. That's right. It's worth doing it to make everyone's lives a little easier at that time. If you have very specific and, and um, I won't say hard line, but very, um, you know, adamant choices that you want made, um, then you can outline that in an advanced care directive. Oh, another document. So, there we yeah. go. <laughs> so there's basically four, but you can stipulate the kind of care and treatment that you would want if certain events uh, were to unfold. And that more or less is a legal document that uh, provides your wishes and then must be followed by your representative, whether it's someone appointed or by default and, uh, and by the medical uh, community. So let's make sure for a summary, I've got them all and we're going to provide information um, for the people who view this and they can, they can go to the PDFs and things we'll provide. So we've got the will, we've got the power of attorney, We've got the representation agreement and we've got the advanced care directive. Correct. I got them all. I passed hundred percent today. That's not bad. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, you, already Peter. come to an end. Uh, episode 15 people is uh, wrapped up. If you want to get a hold of Bart and his team, we've got the information there on the screen with his contact information. I suggest reach out, book an appointment. I know when it comes to even just reviewing what you already have in a will He's quick, concise, fair on pricing. I've never had an issue with people uh, to get that done. So I suggest everyone have a look. Uh, go to Everything Financial Group uh, on YouTube and you can view this and past episodes and you can contact us at White Rock, Langley. Um, where else do we have offices here? Victoria, Scottsdale. Just go to everythingfinancial.com, hit the contact information and you'll be able to find us. And we look forward to episode 16 when we're going to be talking with Sarah Moores from BTM Lawyers about separation and finances. There's the dirty topic we all want to get into. So thanks again, Bart. Thank you, Peter. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.